Welcome to I'm So Obsessed, where we talk with actors, artists, and creators about their work, career, and current obsession. I'm your host, Patrick Holland, and today's guest is the driving force behind such shows as The Killing and Seven Seconds. It's the talented writer, director, and producer, Vina Sood. In a wide-ranging conversation, we talk about her new Quibi show, The Stranger, how working on MTV's The Real World prepared her to be a showrunner, and her love for Skyline Chili. So um, we were just kind of warming up by talking a little bit about the pandemic. And since you've done a variety of work in film and TV, I'm curious, what are your thoughts on what the pandemic means for the future of shows and films in the next coming, the next few years? It'll be really interesting to see the art that comes out of, of this time. Uh, certainly, um, I mean, certainly with the movement, with Black Lives Matter and all the really important revelations that are coming out about the police um, at this time of the pandemic. You know, I, I'm, I'm really hopeful that our industry um, actually reckons in a very substantial way with how non-diverse um, we are from every part of the ecosystem of, of the film and television industry. Um, and that will affect hopefully the content that we get to see, um, reimagining, you know, police, um, and reimagining really who's in the executive ranks, um, and who's in the writer's rooms and who's in the director's chairs. So that's one thing, um, I'm extremely hopeful for um, moving forward in the industry. I also feel that the pandemic has, you know, besides all the practical considerations that we are going to be dealing with, you know, in the year or two or whatever to come um, in terms of how we shoot and, uh, and make what essentially is a giant group activity safe, you know, predominantly for everyone, you know, who's on set, because that is where there's so much interaction, human interaction. Um, It'll be really interesting to see what we have to say as artists in this time of, um, you know, once in a century or once in a lifetime moment for us as a species and as a country, you know, we're coming upon an election, which is really, really interesting. And so, I'm fascinated to see how um, politics will figure into um, what we make as artists. Wow, there is so much I want to follow up with that with that answer, but uh, what really well put though. Um, I'm, I'm just going to go back a little bit back to kind of more the diversity um, behind the scenes, and well, even on 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 screen, the diversity of topics, the diversity of stories. What are steps you think that? Um, whether it's a studio, whether it's a service like Netflix or Quibi can take to to do something like that. It's really important that I know there have been conversations uh, for a while, thanks to organizations like Color of Change, who've taken a very clear eye to our industry and have pointed out, rightly so, that you know the writers' rooms are um, are writers' rooms that create all the content that go out to the entire world do not represent America. Um, you know, I think the, the statistics are 90% are still run by men, 85% are still predominantly white. And that's really reflects not America at all, but really looks more like Trump's administration than who we are as a country. So 
that needs to change. I really think that what else needs to change and is as important as who's creating the stories is who's greenlighting the stories. Um, I can create and pitch, you know, a story to kingdom come, but if, if an executive doesn't greenlight it, if a studio doesn't pay for it, if a network doesn't broadcast it, and if their publicity arm does not publicize it, um, it's all for naught. So looking at our entire ecosystem and saying, who are we? Do we really represent our audiences? And how can this uh, industry do better? And start hiring some people who look like America as decision makers and shot callers in our industry. I'm going to also follow up with, um, in response to especially the, the police brutality and the Black Lives Matter that that's like 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 just overflowed uh, so much in the past few weeks. Um, do you think that's going to have an effect on some of the things you just talked about about that diversity, not only behind the scenes but the stories, but maybe even those executives as well? My hope is that the awareness that is spreading throughout this country about how Black people have been treated by the police um, and the vast kind of economic and political inequalities in Black and brown communities will force our industry to reckon with those inequalities inside our industry too. So, you know, besides lip service and besides panels and besides talking about it and besides, you know, having yet another conference about it, um, you know, put your money where your mouth is, start hiring us, start hiring, you know, black and brown people to make the decisions um, who of, of what stories get greenlit, um, start hiring more representative critics um, in the industry so that, you know, our shows and shows that represent black and brown people aren't, you know, relegated to uh, the back burners. Um, when I, I created a show a few years ago called Seven Seconds, which was about police violence and a white cop who kills a black child. And what was so disappointing and, and shocking, but maybe not surprising, is the tenor of some of the reviews from the white press, the mainstream press, that came out about the show, and namely saying how grim it was and how depressing it was and dismissing the show, you know, um, and whole because it was, I guess, it should have been a comedy or a musical. I'm not sure what the critics expected that <laughs> be about. Um, but that kind of attention or non-attention being paid to stories that um, may make people uncomfortable is really important. You know, there's a lot of ink spilled about shows that <clears throat> lionize, you know, white male heroes and and show naked women and and women being raped and being raped and raped and raped. And, you know, it's genius storytelling, apparently. Um, and there's a reason that, that those story, those shows are written about and shows like Seven Seconds or Shots Fired um, are not written about as extensively. Um, going to talk a little bit about seven seconds. Um, how did you come up with that story? I turned on the television 
you know, I turned <laughs> on television and Ferguson was happening. Um, Tamir Rice had just been murdered, you know, a 12 year old, a 14 year old boy in Ohio, um, the state I grew up in. Um, he, I'm sorry, he was a 12 year old boy who was shot in a playground by a police officer who had a history of violence um, and had never been uh, sidelined. Um, his 14 year old sister was body checked and face slammed into the ground when she tried to go to her dying brother. So that was on the television, you know, and this was back, you know, six years ago. Um, and so I just turned on the television and at the time, you know, I was in developing, uh, work. I was developing a new show. I was, you know, beginning that, that process. And, um, it felt like a story that needed to be told. Is, is it something, um, I understand the power of that story and the power of seven seconds. Uh, is it something that also connects with you, not only intellectually and morally, but also just like to your like creative core that like, I want to, cause you do spend a lot, a lot of time when you're creating a show and writing something. It's not just a few weeks, it's months and years. Um, I'm wondering when did that click for you that, okay, I want to spend my, time on this topic and, and put my voice into this as well. I'm, I'm always interested in the question of whose life matters and, and also what is the price of a life? Um, I'm, I'm fascinated by uh, the world, you know, of murder and death because mm -hmm. there's nothing more extreme than that. Um, it's, 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 you know, life and death. So this has been kind of an, uh, a lifelong obsession with me, um, trying to walk through probably the darkest moments in, in a person's life, you know, when they are in any sort of extreme situation and a stranger, it's a woman being stalked, um, by a man who is relentless, you know, in, in seven seconds, it's a family dealing with the death of their child, um, and a prosecutor, a young female prosecutor having to uh, follow um, what is essentially one of the most political um, situations a prosecutor could be um, looking at in a, in a city that is so diverse as Jersey City and in the killing, the price of a young girl's life. Um, really interested in, in those subjects. Um, I mean, ever since I was a kid, it was, I, I, this sounds so dorky and, and I was such a dork, but the, <laughs> first story, the very first story, and this is for real, like a real thing I wrote was about a pony. And I was interested, I was really interested in the pony had died at the beginning of the story. And the story opened up with today I died. Like that was my first line of the story. <laughs> <laughs> I go from there. I had zero idea, <laughs> but I wanted to somehow know um, what happens in that moment. How, now, how old? About how old are you when you wrote that? I was really, I was a little kid. I was, um, I think I was in second. I could write at that point, so I think I was in second grade. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. 
Go to your happy price, Priceline. And switching back to seven seconds, because um, you wrote on that, you created that. What's it like not only to work with Regina King, who's one of my favorite actors, but to see her perform something you created? Beyond anything um, I could have imagined. Regina King is an absolute force of nature. Russell Hornsby, who played her husband um, and the father of the murdered child, um, is is an incredible actor. And to watch um, the parents, that, to watch them embody what a parent will go through um, and, and, and to see just the relationship they have, the marriage fall apart in the wake of the worst thing that could possibly happen in a family was awe-inspiring. There was a moment when, in seven seconds, when Regina is sitting by the bed of her child in the hospital and he has passed and she's come in um, and she's, you know, for all intents and purposes, they thought that Brent and her, her son was doing better and he was going to pull through and she comes into the room and she's told, I'm so sorry, we lost him. And what Regina did in that moment was just breathtaking. Um, I saw it in edit and I just, I, I wept and, and everybody was crying. It was so true. Wow. I could, I could feel it. Like my chest is like tight just hearing that. Wow. Um, and, and as a writer, uh, specifically, when you are, especially on the, the, the series you've created, is it something where you, you not only have that first impulse to tell the story, but also do you see the story? Do you see the beginning, middle, end? Or are you working through the character's motivations to find the story? How does that work for you? From that character's, you know, interior. So, for example, when I created The Killing, uh, I was up in Marin County and um, I was uh, hiking a lot up in the mountains and, um, and there's so much fog, you know, around the headlands. And, um, and I was, you know, alone all the time. I was, I was riding by myself and I, uh, I could not find what she looked like in my mind. I, there was, a, you know, it was, I, was, I was struggling for probably a solid week trying to figure out or trying to understand Sarah Linden, the, the main character. And, um, I was walking every morning through the fog and there was this one morning where I realized this is what she does. She walks, she lives in a place with a lot of fog and a lot of mountains. She runs every morning, um, which as a woman being alone in a really kind of far off place can be scary because you never know who you might meet out, you know, on the trail, whether it's a human or, uh, a, an animal. <laughs> um, but mostly whether it's a human with, with, with evil intentions. And, but this is what she does. You know, she goes into the most terrifying places and she walks through them alone. You know, that's what she does in her work. That's what she does um, emotionally as uh, that is her journey. So that was how the show opened is her running um, through, through the mountains. And with the killing, the, there was a framework that like one day was one episode. And um, with Quibi, we're going to talk about Stranger here for a second too. There are these little small episodes. I'm curious, how much does like that framework help you as a writer 
Um, I've always heard a cliche that you know sometimes putting yourself in a corner can make you find something you wouldn't normally think of. Is that kind of true for you? Absolutely. Having having a palette that's defined, whether it's a giant one hour uh, thing that you paint on or, you know, 10 minutes, a tiny, tiny 10 minutes, um, really creates momentum, you know, and creates, um, it just creates a frame by which, you know, you can tell the story. And so a bigger frame necessitates a different type of photograph or picture and a smaller frame, you know, different. So, with Quibi and creating The Stranger, it was such a challenge because I like to tell slow burn stories. I like to take my time. I like to um, go really deep um, and quiet in um, whatever is happening for a character in a moment. Um, but with A Stranger, I couldn't do that. You know, I would, I had, I had only 10 minutes maximum to really engage people and make them want to come back for the next episode the next day um maybe there's a world in which i could have been it could have been all kind of uh, haiku uh, contemplative you know thoughts and, <laughs> and unrelated feelings that would be really interesting to try that um but i would i would watch that i would watch that <laughs> <laughs> I, would too. I would too and and there is a whole movement which is fascinating i heard about it i think it started in norway or sweden it's called slow television so in the same way there's slow cooking um there's slow television where and it became a giant hit apparently in in that nordic country where it's nothing it's basically a camera put on a train and then the train just goes um, <laughs> <laughs> that sounds amazing. Hours, hours of it. But no, The Stranger was very, uh, it came from a place where I wanted to be radically different um, in terms of tempo than I, I'd had been in the past with my other shows. And so it is high octane, it moves very fast. There's um, the camera follows and leads, there's very little stasis. Um, there's there's design, but it's depth design, um, infinity line design inside the frame and not east-west because, you know, we had to face the possibility that people would hold the phone vertically as it's meant to be held. And if that were the case, how to keep the lushness of a cinema, a cinematic experience true to a tiny, tiny screen that's being held in your hand vertically. And so, um, you know, that was really fun. That was a huge challenge because that also meant you can't be in one place for too long. You've got to keep moving the character. You've got to um, change the environment constantly to create, again, more information for an audience that's getting potentially less information that we're used to um, on a big giant movie screen slash TV screen at home that's horizontal. Um, and so there was constant conversation in prep and, and experiments on how to make this tiny, tiny vertical screen interesting. Well, and, and also um, for for people might listening to this, so in Quibi, yeah, you could be watching the show like in a horizontal thing, but you could be watching it and actually rotate your phone and it will go to the vertical. Is that correct? Yeah. So depending on how you hold your phone, if you're holding it, you know, like we do when we FaceTime, then it, the, the, the image itself is a vertical image. Um, and if you, you know, hold it horizontally, then it will go into a different aspect ratio. But we were, the way um, 
the idea and the the idea behind Quibi is you you don't it, they're not the same. So there's one thing you're looking at that's vertical and one thing that you're looking at when that's horizontal. Um, mm. And so that what that meant for us is we had to be ready to um, shoot. We shot one aspect ratio, which was almost the square box aspect ratio, the two, the two, three, but we had to, we were, we would cut in to the two, three, the widescreen and also the vertical. And are you guys using like one camera for that? Or is there like two cameras rolling at the same time? No, it's one camera because it, again, it's, it's one format that we were shooting, but we knew we could cut into that one format, both horizontal and vertical aspects. Uh, and, and on our monitors, you know, me and, and the DP, Paul Yee, were able to like watch and say, okay, here's, you know, what's, what's, what, what are we missing in the vertical? Is this satisfying if it were vertical? It's beautiful horizontal, um, but is it really what we want uh, if someone's holding it vertically? And what's it like to watch something you created on a phone? I know it seems silly because we could just take a picture of anything, right? But to put that much work into something and experience it on your phone, what's that like? <laughs> you know, what I found um, is, and, and beta watching it with some friends who had it, you know, who could watch it on the phone um, when it was released. What I find is, and what was so interesting to me about Quibi, besides, you know, the vertical horizontal playing with different, you know, ways of propulsively telling a story was because we all have a relationship with our phone um, across the world, right? Like every single person from, you know, LA to Chicago to Manila, the minute text, a text drops in and you hear that ding, ding, we all get the same endorphin rush. We all get the exact same <laughs> thing, you know? And so because these devices are not just screens. We have, for the most part, passive relationships with our screens in the cinema or at home, um, but with a phone, we don't. And so I was really, what I started to feel when I was watching, because I would watch cuts on my phone, is the same thing I feel when I FaceTime with someone or when I watch something on YouTube or TikTok. It's intimate. It's my own experience. I'm not sharing it. You know, I have the, I have power over it. You know, I can rewind it and stop it and comment on it and look what other people said. You know, there's a, there's an interactivity to it, which I think is fascinating to explore. And towards that interactivity, one thing I was wanting to do with a stranger, which um, the technology wasn't there yet, but I think would have been very interesting is the stranger takes course over one night. So it's, it's 13 hours from starting from 7 PM to, you know, whatever, 7 AM spoiler alert. It's about a man who's stalking a woman through Los Angeles. And this man has access to the woman's locations because he's tracking her through her phone. One thing that, you know, we discover. And, um, so there's a whole meta thing going on as you're watching on the phone, the killer is tracking her through her phone, but he's also sending her texts and he's doing all this stuff. Uh, and she's so she's constantly hearing his text tone, right? And she's not getting an endorphin rush. She's getting a total full-on fear rush <laughs> every time you hear hmm. creepy, crazy man's um, text tone come come onto the, your screen. And so what I wanted to do was every time an episode drops in an audience member's phone, if they liked the series and they want to follow it, you would get creepy, crazy guys text tone alerting you. <laughs> <laughs> 
that you have a new episode. So, you know, you're watching this show, you're hearing it, you're constantly getting this brain rush of your own fear and dread every time you hear his text tone in the show. It's accessing neurons in our brains, which are already being used in relationship to other things around the phone. And so I've gotten texts in the middle of the night, I wake up, I read them, you know, and then I respond, you know, to a friend who's in the Philippines or whatever. Um, in a different time zone, would I do the same thing? We're an episode mid season that I'm dying to see that, that episode to drop into my phone at 2am. Would I wake up? Would I look at it? Would I go to sleep and start dreaming about it? Um, there's a whole other like landscape in our minds to explore with that type of storytelling. There's a lot more I want to uh, talk about, but just out of the sake of time, um, I have a thing called pick one so we can hit a lot of topics at once. And what I do is I give you a, a choice of two things um, and you pick one. It doesn't have to be one is better or you like one more. You could talk it out, aka we encourage that part. Uh, but I'd like to play pick one with you. Is that okay? Yeah. All right. The uh, first one, writing or directing? Directing. How come? Well, for me, because it's utterly new and I love um, being a perpetual student. I love learning. I love not knowing. I love stretching. I love trying different things that I've never done before. All right. Next one. Pen and paper or laptop? Mm, pen and paper. Pen and paper is my secret weapon when I am have writer's block. I Pencil and paper, actually. I will start writing because it doesn't matter. It's not permanent. It's not real. It's just a pencil and a piece of paper. And it's amazing how much I will be able to get out of my brain when I think it's not serious. Um, iPhone or Android? Oh my gosh. Um, well, you know what? I had a flip phone um, not that long ago. So the only thing I have is an iPhone. I don't really know what an Android does. <laughs> It tries to be an iPhone, and for those listening, don't comment at me about that. Um, okay, so this <laughs> I'm gonna add, this is a hard one, or maybe I don't know. Watching videos on your phone in landscape, or watching videos on your phone in vertical. Given the way most videos are shot, landscape for sure. <laughs> uh, because I'm I'm you know I first of all I'm a filmmaker and a TV creator. So I want to see that aspect ratio. I think also until things are purposely made for the vertical screen, it just feels like less information. I mean, we have two eyes that are horizontal. Our nature is to watch, is to see peripheral vision and east, west, not, you know, north, south. Um, so the screen actually has to, vertical screening screens have to make an effort to actually make what we're looking at feel um, lush. I, I totally agree. I totally agree. Um, next one, uh, the real world or the killing? I like the question. I worked on the real world. It was the, it was, I, it was my first directing gig after I graduated from film school. I want to say what was fascinating about doing the real world, um, besides actually getting paid, um, to do 
the thing I'd gone to school for, uh, was how much cinema verite was still going on at that time. I think it's changed now, but the amount of, and this influenced the work of the killing that I did in the killing, the amount of just observing what people do all day long. And as we all know, you know, it's tons of boring stuff and people eating, sleeping, and just like taking showers and being on the internet. And then one exciting thing will happen. And then that becomes the episode. Um, but to see how often when a fight breaks out, we repeat ourselves, we say the exact same thing about a hundred times. There's no progression in a fight. Usually, um, voices get louder, but you're saying ultimately the same thing. And then most interesting to me was how looking at people who are affected by a fight as it's going on, sometimes is far more powerful than the fight itself. So when I did um, the killing at the very end of the first episode, you know, the, the mother is at home with her two sons and she gets the news that her daughter has died. Um, and uh, she's having her, this incredibly powerful reaction but what I wrote and, and what Patty Jenkins shot was uh, her reaction, but then the children's reaction to seeing what their mother was going through. And those two little boys just looking at their mother was, I think, the most powerful moment at the end of that pilot. Um, and so that was such a great lesson I learned from shooting the real world. Wow, I did not expect that. That is, <laughs> wow, that's amazing. All right, I think I know which one you're going to pick for this next one. Skyline Chili or regular chili? Skyline Chili, hands down. The best <laughs> the best chili ever. Now, you're in L.A., so you don't really have access to that as easily as you did before. I have found it in L.A., in my neighborhood. <gasps> really? I have to find the oh, wow. cheese to go with it, but it is, it's pretty spectacular. It's no Skyline, but it's... It's it, it's definitely satisfying. There's nothing like chili with spaghetti. <laughs> <laughs> um, film or TV series? Mm. Right now, I am obsessed with uh, documentaries, and I have been for a while, that are films because I like to not be committed for too long. Um, so I will say for now, film. Uh, the name of our podcast is I'm So Obsessed. So you, you talked about being obsessed with documentaries. Um, what else are you so obsessed with right now? I am obsessed with this, uh, this, it's this lifestyle I've heard about um, called van life. <laughs> <laughs> um, yes, I have hiked for a really long time. I did part of the PCT back in the day. I love the idea of the journey and the idea of living in a van and driving up the coast and making it to the Arctic Circle has been my latest obsession. I want to thank Dina for chatting with me and I want to thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this interview, take a moment and subscribe to I'm So Obsessed on your favorite podcast app. And until next week, take care.